welcome to Local Anesthetic, your weekly injection of mind-numbing local news. This is our fourth episode. Um, the format of the show is this. Myself and Rob. Say hello, Rob. Hiya. Um, what we do is we look at news from our respective hometowns. For myself, that's South East London. It's where I grew up. Um, it's where I still live. And for Rob, he also lives in South East London as well, not far from me. Um, but he was originally born somewhere else. Where was that, Rob? Just one, one, one week, please. You want me to just just take a take a guess? It was something to do. I, I remember Stroud has something to do with it. Well, that's close enough. Yeah, it's a village called called uh, Chalfour, which is is not too far from Stroud. Um, but we are using, or I'm using the Stroud News and Journal, and also uh, the Swindon Advertiser. I should say the reason why I'm using the Swindon Advertiser is because I'm, my my father is actually from Swindon, and I'm also a Swindon Town fan. Swindon Town fan, and and Swindon is not far from where you grew up. Yes, that's right. I thought you were about to say it's not far from Torquay, and I thought we'd, we'd clarify that last week. No, it's nowhere near yeah. Torquay. I, un- I understand that <laughs> okay, now. Um, so, basically, what happens is both of us report news from our hometowns for the purposes of criticism, comment. Basically, we're looking at stories that we find amusing. And neither of us have shared these stories with each other prior to recording this show. So, the stories that I've picked, Rob hasn't heard before, and the stories that Rob picked... I haven't heard before. Um, And the show is also open for you to contribute stories from your local area. We're going to give out the email address for that at the end of the show. And basically the idea is we want you to contribute articles from your respective hometowns. Wherever you're from, we want to know what's going on there. I was thinking about this. And Mm. I must say, I I think we need to think of a a suitable number of podcasts to do, giving out the email address. Well, but not spelling out, if that makes sense. So we can keep giving it out, but I think... I want. I want to be maybe for the for our dedicated listeners who who will get that experience for at least maybe five ten times, but then no more. Right, because Rob, what Rob is referring to is the fact that at the end of the show, Rob actually spells out the email address because anaesthetic in local anaesthetic is quite hard to spell. He spells it out, but I think what you're saying is you don't want to keep doing that. You want people well, to be dedicated enough to to bother to look it up themselves. It's on the website now. It's it's on iTunes. And yes. I'm, I'm hoping. You know, if, if even if you look at the spelling on the website or anywhere, really, you, you should be able to get it. Well, we do have, and it's very boring for the listener, I'm sure. Uh, quite possibly, yeah. we do. We do have a website that is localanesthetic.libsyn.com. That's anesthetic spelt um, with the English spelling rather than the American spelling, and you can look up how to spell anesthetic. So libsyn.com. That's spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N for Libsyn. They're our hosting service, and. On that webpage, you can download all of our episodes, and there's also an audio player there that will always play the latest podcast. We're also on iTunes. You could search for Local Anesthetic. It doesn't really matter what spelling you use. You, yes. As soon as you start typing in Local Anesthetic, it will come it will up. Come up yeah. Or you can just put in Rob Alex, which are our names, and press search and, uh, and go to podcasts. And the second podcast, I think, there is the Local Anesthetic one. And I was saying last week that our hosting service does provide us with statistics... Of, it of, does, of where yeah. people have been downloading the show from and it's got quite interesting because we, we said last week we'd had some people from San Francisco well now we've had some people from Saudi Arabia yeah from um, I think also um, El Salvador was one. Oh yeah <laughs> um, Malaysia as well was there Malaysia? I'm sure yeah Malaysia okay and uh, also and most interesting to me the, uh, the Isle of Man the Isle of Man yeah so uh, hello to that listener hello to that listener of the Isle of Man please please keep listening um yeah, so when we say we'd like you to submit your stories to us, this is a worldwide call. Wherever you mm. live, we want you to submit your uh, articles. We've only really just got up and running. We're on our fourth episode now, um, 
We haven't had any emails as of yet, let's be honest. No, no, we haven't, no. But I'm quite impressed that we've had over 100 downloads so far. So uh, thank yeah, you for we've that. We've had coming up to 150 downloads, I yeah, think, so yeah. far, which isn't bad. Um, so do spread the word. Um, okay. So, Rob, you've got a, a story for us that caught your eye. Yeah, I'm going to start this week uh, with a story from the Stride News and Journal by um, David Wills, who's, I know, done another story. Um The headline is, uh, shoppers convert more than £1,000 into Stroud Pounds. Shoppers convert more than £1,000 into Stroud Pounds. Stroud Pounds. What on earth? I I thought Stroud was sort of part of Britain um, and and, and used the same currency (laughs) as us. Sterling. Um, well, apparently not. They've, they've tried to declare their independence. No, I think what this scheme is, it says on, on, in the article, uh, the project which aims to tackle the recession and cut carbon emissions allows people to use special banknotes to buy goods and services from participating businesses. I really don't understand. We have that system in place already. It's called cash. I don't understand what you're talking about. I don't understand. But see, I've read this article and I still don't understand why. But read the article to okay. me then. Um, Dr. Molly Scott Cato, a director of the Stroud Pound Cooperative, which manages the scheme, says, The launch has been great. People have been very positive. Laurie Lee's widow, Kathy, revealed the £10 banknote featuring the writer. Now, do you know who Laurie Lee is? No. Okay. He's a very... Um, well, he's famous in the local area because he wrote the, um, the wonderful Cider with Rosie. Which the wonderful... Cider with Rosie. Cider with Rosie. Is that a book? It is a book, yes. Right. I think I've heard of that. Yeah, there's been a lot of sort of uh, televised adaptations. Right. It's quite, um, can be quite risque at times. Okay. Yeah. So this is this writer from Stroud, yeah. and they featured him, her? Him. Him. him on, on the, the banknote. Bank yeah. Right. Um, shoppers were then able to buy the currency, so you had to buy it, so right. you had to exchange pounds, and they would give you the Stroud pounds back. Right. And the article just says, John Rhodes, 54, um, a classic sports car enthusiast from Painswick, also tried to sell a 1975 Rover V8 for £1,700. How much is a... What is a, what is a conversion? How much is a Stroud pound worth? It doesn't say. <laughs> I just assume it's one-to-one. I'm irritated by this article. <laughs> I'm really irritated I by it. I don't understand what, what you or the article, is trying to, the article is trying to communicate to me. Why? <laughs> Why can't they just go on using... Well, I, don't, I don't understand, because it says it, it's, it's trying... Tackle the recession and cut carbon emissions. And it doesn't give any detail. <laughs> no. Who wrote this article? I will double. I I, will, I can double check the article, gonna... but I don't think I saw anything in regards to this. Okay, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up here because this is frustrating me. <laughs> I'm looking it up right now. Stroud pound. Okay. Th- okay, this is an article from the Telegraph. And this is way back from 2009. So these have been in circulation for a while then. Um... Right, so the project hopes to fend off the recession by keeping money inside the Five Valleys area of Gloucestershire, allowing shoppers to use the notes in participating businesses. Molly Scott Cato, didn't you reference the earlier? Yeah, that's the doctor, is it? An economist of the Stroud Pound Cooperative said today the aim of the currency is to keep economic value within the local economy. Ah, so they're just trying to get you to only spend your money in Stroud by getting you to sell all your, give over all your all your money, convert it to Stroud pounds, and then you're trapped. You're trapped. You can't go anywhere else in the country apart but from this, Stroud. Do you not think this is ludicrous? Because surely there, there is there is money in the local area. Because if people are buying these Stroud pounds, they must have the money there in the first place to buy these. Yes, but they could go and spend it outside of Stroud. They could go to Torquay and spend their money there. 
But this is keeping them inside the local area, Bob. It's making them spend their Stroud pounds in the, f- well, the Five Valleys area. Can I give you a hypothetical situation? Say, for instance, I don't know, um, you've been into Stroud, uh, you've changed your money for some Stroud pounds, okay, put it in your wallet, go to, half a mile down the road to the petrol station, fill it with your car, go in there. I'm sorry, mate, we don't, cha- don't take the, your fictional money. <laughs> this money that you've made at home. Yeah, what's this? <laughs> Look at it. It's, I have to say, I found a picture of the Stroud Pound. I mean, it's it's very it's a lovely design. It looks but, like um, sort of some sort of communist. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, communist the red Russian is, note. There is a sort of communist workers down the front. Well, it says here in the in the Telegraph article, yeah, that Laurie Lee was chosen for the to be put on this banknote for his socialist principles. Oh, okay. Something is going on. Something dark. Something disturbing in Stroud. So basically, the explanation here is. The recession means that we, people who live in Stroud, are all facing difficult economic times. But history teaches that when a community works together, it can flourish, even in the harshest conditions. The new local currency is one way we can show our commitment to each other and to, secu- and to a secure and sustainable future. Rob, I think, I think this is the first step. Communists are in charge of this area. <laughs> Communists are in charge of Stroud. This is the first step in them declaring themselves independent, of the UK, they've already got this. Is, do you see what I mean? A creeping thing. So they've introduced their own currency to try and keep everybody in the region, support the region. They're going to set up their own independent region, and they're going to go. They're going to go AWOL. I think. I can, and also, if we contemplate the story like a few weeks back, where we had the town mayor, was that not a, filling in his census? That was Stroud. He was so a very Stroud. So hang on a minute. We've got to go back over <laughs> this. I think this was in our first episode. It was or the se- first episode. About first or second episode. First episode. First episode. Yeah. This town, this, do you want to summarise it? Yeah, um, a town mayor, as in the mayor of Stroud, and uh, a, lo- a local peace activist, who, I have to say, they, they did bear resemblance. Um, they looked like twins, it was, it was bizarre. They never, apparently never met before, were of no relation to each other, but they looked identical. Yeah, were both in court after they refused to fill in their census. Yeah, they refused to fill in the census, which by law you have to fill in. Anyway, the peace activist, in particular... <laughs> was basically trying to say that his house wasn't part of the British sovereignty and was trying to claim that it was part of, of, a, of, of a sovereign state in its own right. Of himself. Yes. And therefore he didn't have to fill in the census. Yes. And why did the mayor object to filling it in? He was very sort of... He was He was quite, yeah, I mean, he was quite left-wing by saying it was because it was it was being... Oh, the, the contract had gone to Lockheed Martin, which is a, a massive... Right. The, contract, the contract for doing the census and collecting all the data had gone to this massive American defence manufacturer, Lockheed Martin. So, so, but so something is now forming here, Rob. We have the town... We have the mayor of Stroud, who seems like a bit of a socialist, yep. potentially. We have the peace activist, who I think is definitely that, who's saying, I'm not actually part of the sovereign state of, the U- of Great Britain. Yep, yep. And now we have these... Stroud, in 2009, we have these Stroud... Stroud Pound notes being distributed, and there's a whole website which yeah. Rob has just found called what's it called? Stroud Pound or something? Uh, yeah, stroudpound.org.uk. Where they now announce that you now get rather than getting you know one for one, rather than getting ten Stroud pounds for ten UK sterling pounds, you now get apparently eleven Stroud pounds. So the money is worth more. So this is now trying yeah. to add an extra incentive. These people are crazy. Before you know it, blockades, <laughs> toll booths. And it'll be a completely, it'll be a breakaway state before you know it. North Korea. <laughs> it'll be North Korea. All media will be controlled. This is insane. Will, the Stroud News and Journal will be leading the way. 
Uh, if, if somebody from the government is listening to this podcast, which admittedly is unlikely, <laughs> you need to look towards what is going on. Yeah. Something dark and disturbing it's is going on. It's in front of your very eyes. Come on. I can't believe this. I can't believe we've only just spotted it. Well, can, can you... Mon- oh, right, Rob, I'm giving you the task of monitoring. I want you to <laughs> monitor... Anything that I think may hint towards this breakaway state, I will, I will highlight. Any communist... Or, 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 like, you know, radical socialist tendencies going on in that area. I mean, this is the area, by the way, that you said didn't even have a flower shop. And if that, <laughs> isn't, if that isn't chilling, I don't know what is. <laughs> okay, uh, Rob, I have... Um, I just want to talk about a couple of articles in succession here that I have. Okay. Just because they're related. And I, I just kind of wanted to get them out of the way, in a way, because... I'm going to take my watch off to get comfortable. Rob is taking off his watch to get comfortable. I've taken off my socks for anybody who's interested because I find I get quite oh, yeah. warm and it, it allows me to cool. Um, you will remember, Rob, that in past podcasts, particularly in the first two, there were all these stories about animals and bad things happening to animals. Yes. And last week I managed to start off the podcast with a, with a change. I started it off with a good news oh, animal story. The dog from Turkey. Yeah, dog how can we forget that? The dog from Turkey story. that a UK couple have sort of rescued and brought over here at great expense. I think they spent £2,600 £2, to bring this dog up. Yeah, and a dog that's probably worth about 50 quid. A do- well, dogs are worth more than it that. It was but. thrown out of a car window. It was thrown out of a car window in Turkey, and anyway, they managed to rescue it. But listen to last week's if you want to know more about Could that. Be free. But I'm afraid the pendulum has swung the other way. Oh, my God. I have, I have two, two stories. Um, the first isn't as bad as the second. But the first is, dog-related story again, five dogs missing from Eltham within a week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it's a conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Des- okay, this is by Mark Chandler. It was in the News Shopper, which is my local free paper, which I have mentioned before I used to deliver for in my youth. Um, d- desperate owners are appealing for help to track down their beloved pets after five dogs went missing from the same area within a week. Julie Ward, a volunteer for doglost.co.uk, which must be a website Doglost? For, yeah, for missing dogs. Yeah. That, man. She said the five animals reported missing from Eltham in February, an unusually high number, she said, which makes it sound like, the way she's saying that makes it sound like dogs do regularly go missing from Eltham, but not five in I a month. I think they do, she's got, she got a chart on the wall and just ticks off yeah. how many dogs gone missing that Five week. in a week, there's a trend, <laughs> there's a trend. One, who's a Yorkshire Terrier called Jack, has since been found by an elderly couple oh, near a slip road of Rochester Way, but the others are still missing. So one's been recovered, four are still missing. One of them... 16-year-old Jack Russell Max, who went missing on February the 12th, is practically blind and deaf. He's dead. (laughs) (laughs) Is that not a good possibility he's dead? I hadn't actually thought about it, but yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Miss Ward said his owner took him on their regular walk to Elton Park South. He got into the park, turned around, and Max wasn't there. Because of his sight, sometimes Max just follows a pair of legs. So he may have gone off after someone else. She said, 16 is old for a dog. It would be lovely for him to be at home when he passes away. So he's already... <laughs> it's too late. So he's, okay, so Rob is, Rob is pronouncing this dog dead. He's 16, like I say, he's, he's a good age. People need to know if their dogs are in a happy home. Are they being looked after well or are they out in the streets starving? 
Also missing from uh, also missing are Yorkshire Terriers Emma and Roxy, who went missing from their home on February the 16th, along with Alfie, who went missing from a garden on February the 19th. Miss Ward said dogs should be collared and microchipped. If somebody finds a dog, they should contact the police and report it. Unfortunately, many people see a dog and just assume they're a stray. Uh, people often just sell them on. In the worst case scenario, they're picked up and used as bait dogs for fighting rings. Now, Rob, I'm going to show you a picture of these dogs, and I want you to imagine these dogs being used as bait dogs in fighting rings. So, look, this is a picture of a Yorkshire Terrier. It's a lovely picture oh, of a Yorkshire Alex, Terrier. Don't show me that. I mean, I'm going to show. You, I can give you one comment, and it's not going to be. What's your comment on that picture? Look at it. What? A bait. He would be torn apart. He would be torn apart. Look at the dog. Look at this one. There's one here who's got like a bow in their oh, hair. Why would you do that to your dog? Look, kind of like Cheryl Cole, that doesn't it? <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, I have to say, there's, I mean, there's, there's quite a, apart from the Jack Russell, there's a bit of a similarity with the dogs that have gone missing. No, those two were those two. I think were were, were in one household. Oh, had two even, even the other one looks looks similar to that. I mean, kind what, of. What, what are you suggesting that somebody's gone out to try and pick similar-looking dogs? I'm saying that, like the the uh, the international art market, where and also the black market, where paintings are stolen stolen to order, dogs are being stolen to order. Not the little are black you, and white. No, are, not black and white. Are you suggesting that these dogs have been stolen as part of some bestiality ring? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> no, I thought they, someone had just once said that I'd like a, a Bichon Frise and someone had just stolen a dog. I wasn't suggesting that they'd taken them into some sort of eyes wide shut sex orgy. <laughs> just, just where they walk in and they're just like a circle of dogs. Just my imagination. I thought about this too much. <laughs> I'm just sick of myself. Okay, so that's the first um, uh, bad news story relating to dogs. Okay. I now have one relating to uh, a cat. Is that, is that, was that story over? That story's over. Did you oh. want more? I was hoping that maybe, I don't know. There were no comments. I checked as of about, uh, before we started this podcast, nobody had chosen to comment on that. I think people were too distraught. That's the sort of story that would normally get a lot of comments on you, Shopper, but none. Mm. Okay, Rob, I'd like you to show some decorum attacked during this article. That's mean. Okay, go on. Cat murdered, in quotes, by Staffordshire Bull Terrier in Farnborough Recreation Ground. I'm not going to laugh at that. No. That's, that's quite horrific. Um, this article is by Rachel Connor, and it was in the New Shopper, and uh, it, was, it was in there yesterday, Rob. This is a very, very recent story. Okay. I'm going to read it to you. A devastated cat owner whose pet was killed by a Staffordshire Bull Terrier has hit out at irresponsible dog owners. Okay, so this guy, who's had his cat um, killed, he says the dog which killed his cat, Ziggy, could attack a toddler next. Um, That reminded me of the articles we were reading in the first couple of episodes where somebody had speculated that if somebody kills (laughs) an animal, it's likely that they will go on... They'll gravitate up. Well, what they said is that they thought that... Somebody who kills animals in this cruel way will likely go on to become a serial killer. And there is a, there is a sort of proven link, I think, yeah, between this. Yeah. But this particular commenter who'd written into the new shopper was arguing that if somebody kills a small animal, they will graduate up 
through bigger and bigger animals, eventually killing a human, which was this very bizarre theory, because they seem to be somehow suggesting that you'd kill a small animal, then you'd go on to... I think you were saying, so you'd kill a cat, then you'd kill a dog, then you'd kill a lemur. Yeah, sheep, deer, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, and just go up yeah. until eventually you kill a human. So, so one does wonder, this Staffordshire Bull Terrier, you know, he's, he's murdered a cat... Um, the owner thing, you could go on to kill a toddler. Good next. point, yeah. So it's it's the graduation of killing theory, isn't it? Which I want to be somebody to put on Wikipedia. The graduation of killing theory, because I think there's no proof for that particular theory <laughs> whatsoever. But anyway, okay. Ziggy, an eighteen an eighteen month old pedigree Burmilla cat, died after being attacked close to his home in Farnborough Recreation Ground. So the the owner said it was brutal. His back was broken, his intestines were hanging out. I think he must have been shaken to death. It was awful. There are four of us in the family and we're all devastated. I didn't stop crying for two days. When I told my son... (laughs) When I told my son, he just howled like a wounded animal and my daughter started weeping. (laughs) All the neighbours were upset too. Everyone was fond of him. He was great at keeping the mouse population down. Is this really a cat? <laughs> I teach children and had shown them pictures of him. Now I have to tell them he was murdered. I have nothing against dogs. We live in a park and lots of people walk their dogs and most people do it responsibly. They live in a park? Uh, <laughs> yes, he says we live in a park. <laughs> okay. He does actually say we live in a park. Hmm. And lots of people walk their dogs and most people do it responsibly. But this was really irresponsible of the dog owner. Who's to say it wouldn't hurt a toddler? It should have been muzzled or something. This owner is now hoping to buy a kitten from Ziggy's sister, who is due to give birth to a new litter soon. He said, we want Ziggy back, but we can't have him. This is the next best thing. It sort of goes from talking about this cat in these terms like, you know, like a family member has been, has been killed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which I can understand how much people's pets mean to them. But he talks about it in such gravitas that he told his son who howled like a wounded animal. I, I, but then he says, then he says, oh, we've bought a kitten. Uh, we've we bought Ziggy's sister. Um, we, although we can't replace Ziggy, this will do. But clearly they've moved on. That, 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 that two days of crying that he did, <laughs> two days solid crying, has also got out of his system. Two want... days of howling in bed, both of them, him and his wife and his two kids, and the local neighbourhood and all the rats and mice. Maybe not the men that they would be celebrating, obviously. They would be celebrating, wouldn't they? If you think about it. Because obviously he's not Yeah, there. I understand where you came yeah. um, I just love the quote, we want to give you back, but we can't have him. This is the next best thing. Hey, kids! <laughs> That's very close to the, the bottom quote that we always joke about. <laughs> what, <laughs> which, what would he say? He'd say, uh, um, I want to give you back, but I can't. So we won't, so I'll just have to live with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rob, uh, can I show you the... Um, he, he, he seems to have made this sort of makeshift bouquet of flowers that he's put, like, on the sort of tr- the tree where, where Ziggy was murdered. Right. Um, can, I sh- can, can I show you it? <laughs> oh, God, that's really quite tragic. Can you describe it for people listening? <laughs> it's, it's a black and white picture of his cat... Stuck into what only could be described as a plant pot. A, a plant pot from a local garden centre with some, I think there's a primroses, and he's written in, 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 in marker pen, Ziggy, 2000, oh, is only two years old? Ziggy, 2010 to 2012. And this is him um, putting it on the stump. He, to be fair, to <laughs> he doesn't live in a park, does he? 
Uh, you can quite see that from the picture. He doesn't live in a park. He lives near a park. Well, he did say we live in a park. Unless he's camping on it. Yeah. Um, there is one comment. And, <laughs> and I think this comment is probably directed Is it Paul Erith? No, it isn't. Oh, and I don't think we've got a comment from Paul Erith this oh, week. Oh, what a shame. Okay. Um, it's Gavin P. who says, Sorry to hear of your loss. People who don't own pets won't understand. And maybe that was directed at us. Um, because we have been very flippant about... Yeah, I would like to apologise for laughing at your... At your, your um, excessive crying. And I do understand that sometimes the way to move on from grief is 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 just to try and get over it, which is and hopefully Ziggy's sister doesn't doesn't uh, the same fate doesn't befall her. I know when my grandma died, I bought a kitten and felt a lot better. Okay, this is a small story, Rob, that caught my eye. It's a great example of antisocial behaviour. It's in the news shopper. It's by somebody called Jim Palmer. Okay. And the story is firefighters stoned by yobs. <laughs> oh, th- this really annoys me. What firefighters getting stoned by yobs? Does that yeah. often happen? Well, it's, it's emergency services because I've seen I've seen it also on the news when you see f- sort of fire crews or ambulance crews getting pelted with stones. Really, I've never heard. Yeah, of such no, a this thing. is quite a common practice, especially in the more deprived parts of the UK. Right, i.e., the north. Well, this story says firefighters were attacked by youth who pelted them with stones as they deliberately set fires. Okay? Um, So Thames side watch manager Lee Murphy said it was a matter of time before someone got hurt. He said, we're just doing our job. We don't want to be target practice. Crews from Thames side have been called to the Daring Way and Sham Rock Road areas of Gravesend 17 times since February the 21st. Jesus. So that's almost, well, that's more than once a day, actually mostly to rubbish that has been set alight. On the last two occasions, Mr Murphy said half a dozen school-aged youngsters hid in bushes and lobbed stones at them while they put out the flames. The 42-year-old said, It's just a bit of fun for them, a bit of frivolity. The youth set fires down there, so we have to put them out, and that annoys them. At the moment, it's only smallish stones, but they all get bigger and bigger. Here's another man who believes in the graduation. That's true. Before you know it, boulders... Yeah, meteors. Yeah, who so, knows? So, so well, let's do it then. So he's suggesting they start off with bits of gravel. They graduate up to smallish stones, pebbles, pebbles moss on them, yeah, those yeah, sort of pebbles, things. Yeah. Um, maybe then. And then a rock. Would the rock be a rock? Then a slightly larger rock. Um, a brick. Maybe a brick. Maybe a coping stone. Slab. Concrete slab. Breeze block. Breeze block. Boulder. Uh, boulder. Then mountain, <laughs> yeah, mountain. When will this madness end? Well, exactly. I have to say, I mean, I know that they can't do this for, for, because they will get charged. But I mean, little so and sos. If I if I was the fire crew, I would just literally turn the hose on and just wipe them out. I mean, let's face it. I know that the pressure of those um, fire engine nozzles is extraordinary. And if you had a child there, you could quite easily push him about thirty feet. Rob, you're, I, I didn't expect your reaction to this story to be to be what it is. You've really taken this, you, you've really become passionately incensed. I mean, I think some people will be a bit disturbed to hear <laughs> the tactlessness which you treated a man's cat being murdered. And here you know, a few firefighters have had a bit of gravel thrown at them. And you're saying, turn the hose on them and, you know, uh, 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 this will sort them out. Because you do realise, Rob, that the sort of places which deal with legitimate protest by turning hoses on them and other such things generally tend to be fascist, totalitarian states. It's no wonder you're from Stroud. Okay, Rob, you got another story for us? 
Uh, yeah, this one's from the uh, Swindon Advertiser. Um, <clears throat> no journalist I can see. And it's not a particularly funny story, but I just think it's a bit tragic. Um, oh, right, so this is properly sombre, is it? Well, I say, I mean, um, well, no, obviously. Uh, equality service set to shut down. Equality service set to shut down. In Stroud, is this? No, this is Swindon. Because I was going to say, if this is Stroud, then it's another piece <laughs> yeah. of the puzzle. You yeah, know? there is, yeah. They've introduced their own currency, and now there's no equality anymore, just subtly, yeah. Now the minority's going to be moved out. <laughs> yeah. In big trailers. Um, a lack of funding has led to an important support service being forced to stop offering its services at the end of the month. It's been announced that the Swindon Racial Equality Council will stop, uh, sorry, will close on March the 31st after cash from central and local government dried up. Um, it is feared that this will have implications for black and ethnic uh, communities throughout Swindon who turn to the council when they are having difficulty at work or in their personal lives. Right. Now, I mean, I mean, Swindon is, I think, quite a diverse place. Is it? Yeah. I wouldn't have... I mean, I didn't... I, I thought it was quite... Okay, so it is quite diverse, is it? Well, I think where it's situated, because it's it's only about an hour from London, so it, it has quite a big uh, commuter population, so you can commute easily into it. Now, the shame is, I mean, because I, I do think this, this would be a vital service, but on the other hand, I do think that maybe um, Swinnerberg out just thought, yeah, don't need this. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean... That's many riots for the last few years. Let's get yeah, rid of it. Let's get rid of it. <laughs> Who notices a, a, a different coloured face these days? I mean, apart from most of the people of uh, the surrounding towns of Swindon, but apart from that. Um, there was one quote from, uh, I think, when the, he's the founder of the, of the centre, which I think... He's actually the director of the Swindon REC. He says, The main reason behind, uh, behind this is there is no fund available to us beyond that period, so beyond the end of March. All the funding has dried up. Things on, say... Efficiently, it will not close. That will be decided by the members, but the service will not be available. Does he say anything else? Um, it just basically goes on to say, uh, we are getting more people coming to us who are facing discrimination at work. It's understandable. It is an important service. It's not the only service for the minority groups, but for all residents. Oh, sorry. Um, it's, been a, it's been an important service, and it's not only a service for minority groups, but for all residents. Um, the thing now is people will be going to the Citizens Advice Bureau because they expect the service we provide to be picked up by somebody. I'm beginning to understand why this place has been shut down, Rob. <laughs> because other people can offer these services. Well, let, <laughs> let's just put all this together. He said <clears throat> the following. Although, although they've withdrawn the funding and they're closing us, officially, we will not close. Yeah. So that's the first thing he said. So if I'm Swindon, I'm thinking, OK, so you're saying you're still going to keep going even without the cash. Yeah. Okay, uh, we're just going to take that cash back now then, please. <laughs> the next thing it says is, is that it's an important service, not just for minority groups, but it's for everybody. <laughs> so what, if they're, if they're off, what does he mean for everybody? Is this for somebody who's a racist who comes along and goes, I, mean, I don't understand, who, when it says it's not just for minority groups, it's for anybody, surely the issues that those anybody would be coming for would be... It, it's for it minority... would probably be outside the remit of the... Yeah, yeah so what advice could they offer? And then he says... All of this will be picked up by the Citizens Advice Bureau anyway. Yeah. So, Rob, I'm sorry. That, uh, you said this was sad, but I have to go on record as saying, from what you told me, this body sounds like they were utterly and completely redundant. <laughs> well, that might well be the case. Maybe we won't start to understand why the funding was withdrawn, because essentially they're not offering any service to the Citizens Advice Bureau, isn't And I spotted in that article a number. It costs how much a year? It costs £115,000 a year to keep the council. 
And how many people did it? So, okay, well, it seems like it helped a lot of people. Maybe we should try and work out, though, for 6,570 uh, 6, people that it Okay, helps. bit of number crunching. How, how, how much it costs per person. The article claims... Okay, read me the number again. How many people did it say it helped? Okay, it helped 6,517 people. Hang on a minute, hang on a minute. 6,517. Yeah. And how much does it cost? £115,000. Okay. I'm doing a bit of number crunching here on the, on a calculator. Six five, five one, one seven. seven. And is that so? They're saying it cost one hundred fifteen thousand pounds a year. That's for the, and it helped. And it, that's how many people it helped in a year. Seventeen pounds a person. It's not bad. That's good value for money. Reopen it. What are you doing? <laughs> Um, okay, look, my, my next story here. Trees destroyed hours before protection order kicks in. This okay. is a very strange story. It's by Mark Chandler again. He seems to be oh, doing wow. a lot of work. I've not heard it. We haven't mentioned him before. No, we I don't know if he's a new, a new reporter on the scene. He's, he's getting, taking up all the stories. Yeah, he's taking up all the stories, all the juicy stories. Okay, allotment holders have been left disgusted after hundreds of trees were cut down and left lying on the ground a day before an order to protect them came into force. So this is a very mysterious story, this. Okay. The trees at St Mildred's Road allotments, Hither Green, are believed to be 20 years old and were introduced to, rege- to reduce rain runoff. They have since become a haven for wildlife in the area. Paul Olding, 38, of Pitfold Road, Lee, said, I arrived on February the 25th to see notices concerning a tree preservation order made by the council that came into effect on February the 23rd protecting the trees behind our allotments. It's something I wholeheartedly applaud for the reasons stated in the order. Hmm. However, at that moment, so he gets there to see this sign, at that moment, I also saw that virtually all the trees behind our allotments had been felled. Mr Olding, a biologist, believes around 50 trees, 50 trees were cut down on February the 22nd, which is a day before the order was issued, the day he had last visited the site, and one day before they would have been protected by law. He said... The nub of the matter is, who did this? What's in it for them? Whoever destroyed the trees should be made accountable for their actions, even though it appears they may have taken place prior to the date of the, of the preservation order starting, which they did. They were cut down on the 22nd, mm. preservation order was on the 23rd. Okay, okay. I've written to the council to demand that whoever paid for the destruction of the trees be taken to court, charged with criminal damage, and made to fully replant the areas in the next three months. A spokesman for Lewisham Council said, it is an offence to cut down, top, lop, Uproot or willfully damage or destroy a tree protected by the order. Top, lop or uproot, is that right? Top, lop or uproot. It's like a haircut. Uh, If anyone wishes to object to or make a comment on the order being made permanent, they should do so in writing to the council before the 5th of April 2012. This story is just bizarre. I mean... It is, so you've got a protection order against trees, right? Because it's just mysterious. It's one of these articles, again, you just want to know more. There's a protection order against these trees... (coughs) And the day before it comes to effect, somebody comes and chops down 50 trees. Quite how you chop down 50 trees without anybody noticing as you're doing yeah. it. If 50 trees are felled behind an allotment, do they make a sound? I, I don't know why, but I can imagine maybe in, in a few weeks' time we get a story saying that that, that that patch of land has been sold to a developer. Well, yeah. I, that, that's the only thing it I can imagine. It just sounds conspiratorial, doesn't it? it just yeah, sounds... absolutely. It sounds like Lewisham had obviously had other plans for that. Ah, that's what So you're thinking it's Lewisham Council. Are you? Uh, yeah, of course it is. Who else is going to be? So you're saying even though they've come out and said they're the ones who've issued the order, they're covering their own backs. So, so they issued the it's order. A cover up. So they issued the order. 
but they had the trees all removed. Fifth, but what I mean is that's a huge operation, Rob. You don't just go down there with an axe True. and chop down 50 trees. How would, I don't know much about tree surgery. How does one go about chopping down 50 trees without having massive industrial equipment? You're, you're getting confused. Tree surgery is, is the act of cutting off dead branches. Okay, whatever. Tree felling is where you actually cut the tree down. This oh. is what they've done here. Tree surgery is where you they have men on ropes and who cut... I can see I'm boring you, but this is a, there is a vital distinction to be made. Rob's father was a lumberjack. Yeah, and uh, he died in the, in the chipper. Neither of those things are true. <laughs> <laughs> to clarify, he was Canadian though. Is that is that is that a stereotype to say? If anybody from Canada downloads this podcast, can you email us and tell us if Rob was being discriminatory by suggesting that all Canadians were lumberjacks? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Okay, Rob, you got another story for us. Yeah. Um, after the the pavements story of last week, the Stroud pavement story being resurfaced... I'm sure, not sure I can barely remember that. There was a story, Stroud pavements being resurfaced, and yeah. she was suggesting that without these pavements being resurfaced, there was no way of anybody doing anything in the town of Stroud? Stroud, it was Stroud, yeah. Right. So you'd like to prepare for big things. Preparing for big um, things. Well, we moved to Swindon this week. <laughs> right, so now we're in Swindon. So different story. Yeah, different right. story. Resurfacing work finally done. Brilliant. <laughs> um, it doesn't was say that the front page. Was <laughs> it? I think it was. You I can go. You can go out again. <laughs> yeah. You can leave your houses without fear of potholing. No, that's something else, isn't it? That's where you climb through caves. That's potholing. I don't know, but uh, potholes in roads. Yeah. yeah pot no, holes. potholing is where you have the, the torch on your head and climb through. If you say so. Holes. It's not sexual practice. It's not the sort of thing we do down in London. It might be the sort of thing you do up in Stroud, but not down there. <laughs> anyway, um, it doesn't say who the story is written by, but uh, work to resurface uh, Whitehead Street in Eastcote was finally completed on Saturday, two months after it was started. Well done, that's quite speedy. No, but it's not, that's the thing. Right, oh, okay, sorry. Um, residents contacted the advert in February to complain of a shoddy, in brackets, shoddy, resurfacing job which started in the week before Christmas and then stopped. So, this article um, is only from two days ago. So what right. happened is the resurfacing started just before Christmas and for no apparent reason, stopped. For how long? Well, I'm guessing until very recently. When you say for no apparent reason, wasn't the apparent reason that it was Christmas? <laughs> I'd love if that's the case. Well, what do you expect them to do? They've laid... they, they stopped on Christmas Eve. and then well, and... Probably earlier than that. They said, this is our Christmas holidays. They laid down tools. Well, it, it does sound like, I mean, just going on, they said that two p- patches were not um, done because cars were parked there at the time. <laughs> this is so That's awesome. brilliant. Yes, They've gone they around re- the cars. So they just resurfaced around the cars. Yeah. Why did... Um, but don't you... Hang on a minute. You normally put up signs weeks you ahead. You close the road. <laughs> and you close the road. You don't allow people to park there. Well, it seems that the people who wrote into the advert saying that it was a shoddy job may have something... <laughs> may have the point. Um, I'm sure it was a shoddy job. Yeah, so... Uh, um, <laughs> so... The road had been left covered in loose chippings that scratch cars. They also raised safety fears after the subcontractor did not replace about two feet of double yellow lines which previously stopped cars parking over a fire hydrant manhole covering the road. So they forgot to replace the double yellow lines. Yeah, so if, they, if there had been a fire and the fire brigade turned up, they wouldn't have been able to get to the manhole cover to get the water supply. No, they would have been there scrabbling to get to the manhole cover while being stoned by yob. <laughs> That's true, yeah. And, and in which case, they couldn't turn the hose on to wipe them out. Yeah, of course. Um, on Saturday morning, workmen were due to resurface the two patches, sweep up the chippings and repaint the double yellow lines to ensure firemen can access the hydrant. Um, Councillor Dave Wood um, said, It's great. 
It's long overdue and I've held the council to account about why it took so long. Because the original work w- were done the week before Christmas. Um, he, said the, oh, he said the delay came about because the materials used to do the job were not readily available or were different to the ones you'd normally use for resurfacing, which also caused the loose chippings. This is just an appallingly organised... It's just horrendous. <laughs> appallingly organised. They, they started it before Christmas. They couldn't get it finished. They left somebody's road completely unsurfaced. It's full of chippings. Full of chippings. <laughs> Cars still were still parked there, which they just, which they just tarmac <laughs> around. Right. The tarmac that they put up, they forgot to, they forgot to repaint vital yellow lines, <laughs> which were there to stop people parking over fire hydrants and other things. Yeah. And this road was like this for the best part of two months. <laughs> over Christmas. Yeah. So if, if there had been any sort of emergency, like I said, any sort of fire, they would have been screwed. I just like the idea that if you went down that road, you would just find that literally the road had been stripped and all there was was just maybe cars raised up. Were, they're, they're still These the two tarmac. parked cars on the tarmac. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and the, again, the rest of it would a road that looks like a, a dirt track, essentially. Yeah. But, you know, I have to hand it to the people of Swindon. That's, they, I have, they all they have a point to complain. But um, <laughs> to say, I mean... Surely you checked the materials were available before you started the job. And or close, at least close the road. And yeah. close the road and find out if the cars were abandoned or not and <laughs> remove them if necessary. But they just... They, it was obviously Christmas, you know, maybe they, 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 they wanted to get, to get done before the, the festive holiday started. So it's a slapdash job that ultimately was a pile of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, last story uh, from myself, Robin, for this podcast uh, is this story by Alan Woods. Oh, good, good to know he's back. Yeah, good to know he's back from selling all of his family possessions to cash converters. The story is, well, actually, okay, this is a story. A pair of burglars who stole cash, champagne, and scratch cards from a Dartford supermarket inadvertently revealed their getaway route. I was actually concerned they were about to say they stole it from Alan Wood's house. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> well, he's got nothing to, he's got nothing to steal. Oh, yeah, he sold it all, yeah. He pawned yeah. it all. Police were able to track the direction taken by the two men who stole £100 worth of scratch cards from the store. Can you guess how they were able to track the direction of these two men who stole £100 worth of scratch cards from the store? Take a wild guess. Was there a trail of silver foil that they'd scratched off the cards? Well done. Really? By following a trail of tickets, they did not win a prize. <laughs> nice. They discarded the tickets. The discarded tickets were found by detectives scattered along Joyce Green Lane and into Austin Gardens. Police are today appealing for information after the two balaclava-clad men <laughs> entered the co-op oh, store in Henderson Drive at 6.15am on February the 29th. The 63-year-old store manager was left shaken after being knocked to the ground during the raid, which saw the burglars also leave with £270 from two tills, as well as bottles of champagne. Just like the fact that they like, took these bottles of champagne to celebrate their, uh, their theft. <laughs> Kent Police okay. Detective Constable Angela Costin said this was an unusual robbery with a clear element of planning, as the suspects seemed to be aware of store opening times and entry methods used by staff. If anyone saw two men wearing or holding balaclavas <laughs> walking along Joyce Green Lane in Austin oh Gardens, scratching and throwing cards away, <laughs> it is an unusual sight and we would urge them to get in touch. The trail of used scratch cards has provided us with some valuable evidence in that we are aware of the direction of travel the suspects used as they left the scene, but we are still unsure if they travelled on foot or got into a waiting car, because presumably this trail of scratch cards just dries up at a certain <laughs> point. One of the men, now listen to this Rob, if you were burgling the store, is this what you would wear? 
One of the men was wearing a high-visibility jacket. What? With his face covered during the raid. Now, a high-visibility jacket is one of those, like, luminous yellow jackets. It's designed to make you stand out. To make you stand out, (laughs) yeah. And both men were described as having dark tan skin. Oh, my God. The stolen goods were placed in a large white or grey bag during the raid, and then the men left from the back of the shop. And anybody who has any information on that can call Crime Stoppers. Why would you have... I'm sorry, but... (laughs) So you're walking down the street wearing a high-visibility jacket, possibly wearing or holding a balaclava, and scratching hundreds of scratch cards and discarding them onto the street. And she doesn't think that they might stand out. And she's appealing, because you don't think that maybe that's that's slightly suspicious in its own right. No, that's what she's saying. She's saying it's an unusual sight. Please look out for it. I mean, how many people wear a balaclava in normal day-to-day practice? I I like to wear one. Well, apart from you. To and from work. Yeah, I mean, that has caused a bit of alarm. It has caused a bit of alarm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, that, there's that time where they, they, um, they, they stop the bus. Yeah. But, um, I mean, that's just, it's, it's just, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, how idiotic must you be? It's a brilliant example of a bungling crime. You might just walk in there naked if that is effective. Although, having said that, these detectives who are scouring up and down this road, the trail has gone dry because basically they do not know where they are. They know the direction of travel. Well, that doesn't, it doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. But I mean, it's a pity they didn't drive off and continue scratching the cards and fling them out the window, you know, all the way to their house. How did they not know that they just dropped the cards and the and the window just scattered them somewhere? See, this is why Rob used to be a special constable. Rob, get back on the force. They're missing these detective skills of yours. I would if I could. It it could be the wind. It could. <laughs> I suggest that a few times. That's the, that's the problem. That's why you got sad. But he's clearly been knifed. It could be the wind. Yeah. I think it was the, it was the, the suggestion that whether it murdered him more than anything else that that was the, that was the issue with my investigations, which is still ongoing. They are still ongoing, yeah. And um, we talk about gross misconduct, yeah. But that's, that's that's no, that's that's a separate issue. Um, okay, Rob, do you want to um, give out the email address for people to email us with stories from your local area? Because look, let's think about this. If these are the stories from our local areas, then there must be. Hundreds and hundreds and thousands yeah. and thousands of brilliant stories Please going on around the world. Email in. It, we, we the desperation it. in Rob's voice. Email us. We will get emails. I eventually. love getting emails. And I, it happens so rarely. Please send them in. What's the email address? The email address is localanesthetichpodcast at gmail.com. Right, do you want to spell anesthetic? Go on then. This is, no, I want you to. No, the no, e- yeah. I'm, I'm saying, I was agreeing with you. Sorry. The English spelling, the okay. UK spelling. It's A N A E S T H R. Ooh, I spelled it wrong. First time, a slip up. Let's try again. A N A E S T H E T I C. And do you want to spell it using the phonetic, or as you like to call it, the NATO alphabet? Yeah. <laughs> See, you sound bored of it now. Yeah, I am yeah, bored of it. Yeah, but yeah, I kind of strangely enjoy it at the same time. Okay. Um, I find it soothing. Uh, really? Okay. And erotic. Uh, yeah, I was, I was afraid of that. Uh, it's uh, Alpha November Alpha, Echo Sierra Tango, Hotel Echo Tango India Charlie. Hey, I've got an idea. How about next week I try and do it in the NATO alphabet? You'd, I can, yeah, if you try and learn it. It's, it's not I'm not going to try and learn it between this week and next week. I'm just going to try no. and do it. I'm oh, going to okay. just try and do it next week. Okay. I'm up for the challenge. See what 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 I mean. I get very very frustrated because people will try and do the phonetic alphabet and then use the wrong. I do that all the time. So I'm on the phone and yeah. I'll say C for 
A for, yeah, Hang um, on. Crisp. Yeah, C for crisp. H for hyena. Yeah. A for apple comes up a lot. Yeah. And they're wrong. But why is that wrong? People know what I mean. Well, it's something to do... Okay, I'm going to spell it in the Alex alphabet. Oh, Jesus. Apple. Knob. <laughs> with an N. Nice. Aardvark. Well, well, you can't have two different... I'm doing it my way. Yeah, but you said at least have some corresponding names for the letters. Okay, Aardvark Noddy. Aardvark Egg. Ship. That's close. Tiara. <laughs> hopscotch. Egg. Tiara. India. Crap. Well, if, if that was as tedious for you as it was for me, please email in and tell us. Well, but well done. That was Thank good. You. Apart from the oh, fact you used I for India, which is part of the, the phonetic alphabet. Oh, so I actually used part of the phonetic yeah. alphabet correctly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, thanks for listening. Um, <laughs> that was if you're still there. Well done. <laughs> if you're still there, well done. That was uh, episode four, episode, and episode five should be up in about a week or so. And um, thanks for listening. God bless. Take care. Have a good week. Oh.